Let's pray together. Great God, we are so thankful uh, for psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that move our affections for you. Father, thank you for your truth that we can store in our minds. And Lord, thank you for songs that help to move the truth from our minds to our hearts. Lord, thank you for the emotive sense of our affections for you. And Lord, it's a good thing when our hearts are moved toward you, to worship you. And Father, we pray now as you speak to us through your word, that you would give us hearts to hear and obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 1, we shall begin reading in verse 8. If you will make your way there. I'm only preaching three sermons out of Daniel 1. Aren't you proud of me? Yeah. And this is the last one we will have in Daniel 1. So Daniel 1 verse 8. The Bible says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test yourself, test your servants, Daniel said, for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and thus deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days it was seen that there were better, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the, kings, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. May the Lord God bless the reading and the proclamation of his word. Researchers tell us that one out of every two professing Christians that leave and go off to college lose their faith at some span in between the first and fourth year of finishing college. So that means that one out of every two children that leave, if that average is correct, First Baptist Church of Ozark and go off to college, one out of every two will lose their faith. If that holds true. So, we know that in most cases, 
College is a dangerous place, both morally and spiritually. There are moral challenges and there are intellectual challenges. The challenges faced today are not, however, unlike the ones faced by Daniel and the three Hebrew friends of his. There is, of course, one big difference between the kids that go off to college today versus Daniel, <coughs> Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in Babylon University. These guys did not apply for entrance to Babylon University. Neither did their parents have to pay exceedingly high tuition for them, right? We might say that these guys got exile scholarships, right? They really did. They were exiled to Babylon against their will. It's not something they signed up for. We saw last week that they were taken off to Babylonian captivity in the very first stage of the deportation, probably around 604-605 B.C. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar had a simple plan. He would take the brightest and the best that the Hebrews had to offer, and he would put them in a new environment, and he would do what's called reprogramming, acculturation. If you remember what Sinclair Ferguson said, I made mention of this last week in his excellent commentary on Daniel. He says that this reorientation, reprogramming, acculturation was in these four modes. Isolation, indoctrination, compromise, and confusion. Is that not what we see in our world today? So the idea is if you change their way of thinking, you will change their behavior. They sought to change their loyalties and their identities. And if you're successful in this strategy, those young boys would forever be Nebuchadnezzar's boys. So the temptations were abundant. Now when you think of Babylon and you think about that culture, don't make a mistake for a moment to think that this would have been a scary and tyrannical and oppressive place. You're missing the point of Daniel 1 if you think that. Now did it scare them when they were plunked out of their families and put here? Oh, absolutely, no doubt. Can you imagine being 13 to 16 years of age and being in exile and they just swept you off your feet and took you into a different culture? Yeah, I'm sure they were scared. But I believe, remember, that Daniel wrote Psalm 119. You understand that the Psalter was not written totally by David. As a matter of fact, many, many Psalms were written by Moses and Asaph and Solomon. And I'm a, I believe that Daniel wrote Psalm 119. And if I'm right, then we learn from there that Daniel would have had friends that assimilated into this particular lifestyle in Babylon. And they did so without hesitation. So they would have taken this culture hook, line, and sinker. So this should not surprise us. We see this clearly in our own culture. Kids go far away from home and far away from any kind of accountability. And they're re-educated and acculturated. So when Daniel looked at the far less faithful ones, he said this. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have, my, have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. That is verse 53 and 54 of Psalm 119. So there were many opportunities for, to forsake the law. If you look at Psalm uh, 119, verse 136, he says, My eyes have shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. 
So Daniel looks around and he knows that they're all exiles in Babylon. There would have been more than just four, you understand. There would have been many of them that were deported there. But out of the exiles that went off to Babylon, there were some who remained faithful to God. And that's what Daniel highlights for us. So there were others who were glad to be away from home, glad to participate in the sins that they wanted to participate in. But check this out. Daniel was different. Daniel was different. And that's awesome. Hananiah was different. Azariah was different. Mishael, they were different. Now we saw last week that there was pressure upon these young men to compromise their faith. And we learned that the application is we are going to face similar, if not the same, uh, pressures to compromise our faith. Today, we're going to take up Daniel's resolve to obey, but we're not just going to mention that statement objectively so that you can stand off aloof from it, but we're going to make it applicational, and here's the application. You've got to choose the path of utter dependence upon the Lord. That's what you have to do today, living in the 21st century. Now, this, was a, this is a long way from us when you're reading Daniel. This is a 6th century But we're looking today at our own world, and folks, you have to choose the path of utter dependence upon the Lord if you're going to be able to stand at all in the culture that we live in. Now, verse 8 says that Daniel resolved. That is the ESV translation. The NAS says that Daniel made up his mind. The New King James Version says that Daniel purposed in his heart. I like that. But the closest to the Greek is the ESV. He resolved. This means he made a determination of mind and will, and check this out, and affections. Don't get distracted, young people. Listen. That's what resolve means. It's a threefold thing of mind and will and affections. So, remember, he's 13 to 16 years of age. And he's determined through affection and mind and will To not go down a certain path. Check this out. Isn't it awesome? 12 to 16 years of age. 13 to 17. Max at this point in his life. It has to be because of the PS in verse 21. It tells us that Daniel was there for 70 years. So he had to be. He died at probably 83, 84 years of age. So he has to by necessity be between 13 and 16 years of age. And yet he purposes in his heart. He resolves himself. Now, did you know that the term adolescence is a relatively new term? For years and years and years, you just had children and adults. Now, you had young adults, of course, and older adults, but there was no middle category of adolescence. There was never a time when kids were not kids, but once you became an adult, you were an adult. We didn't have what's called today a prolonged adolescence. They tell us today that a male really doesn't mature until they're 42. So I didn't make it till seven years ago. I'm glad to be there, you know, at this point. But the fact is, we live in a culture that's created a category where we can say, okay, uh, young adults can do stupid because they're still in the adolescent stage. All we're doing is making an excuse for sin, right? And that's the way the world has squeezed us into its mold. Yet here is Daniel taken away, far away from mom and dad. Mom and dad are nowhere around. And he has resolved in his heart and mind that he would not defile himself. 
a resolution of determination was everything to Daniel. That's why that word resolve is used. Now, what's the issue with the food? I mean, it was laid out before them, all the king's dainties, all the king's food was given to them. Well, some say it was because the food was non-kosher and that it would have caused Daniel to violate dietary laws. Well, wine was nowhere off limits and they were never forbidden in the scripture not to partake of it. But yet wine is one of the things that he was offered. So we can't categorically say it was just because of dietary laws. It was not, wine was not considered non-kosher under dietary laws. Furthermore, later on when we get to chapter 10, we see Daniel actually partaking of the food in Babylon. So others will say, well, it's because the food was offered up to Babylonian gods. Well, the problem with that is that all of the food would have been offered up to idols, including the vegetables and the wheat and so forth. So I think there's a two-fold strategy working with Daniel's decision and resolve to be determined not to partake of the food and the wine. Number one, it was just straight rejection of a tempting lifestyle. Second, Daniel maintained the kind of life that would require conscious dependence upon God. Thus my point, right? you got to choose the path of utter dependence upon God. That's why resolve is so vitally important for us to see. Yes, there was something to be said about the tempting lifestyle. But there was also something to be said about the fact that Daniel purposely put himself in a position where God had to act on his behalf. Well, that's risky, isn't it? God God demands that we risk it all for him. And here is Daniel risking it all. So what should we say about the sensual lifestyle that's offered here? You know, please understand that that a major snare of the enemy today is an entrance into and an introduction into a sensual and indulgent lifestyle that's going to dull your moral and spiritual senses. Daniel knew this. And as he looked at this lifestyle, sure, food and wine, yes, but the big issue is the sensuality. And what did it actually stand for? So there is a downward spiral that develops when we start engaging into sinful practices. I don't hear many amens today. Those sins of sensuality, i.e. immorality and sensuality, all the things that are out there today in neon lights, they dull your senses to God. They dull you from the things of God. That's why the seats in this building are not filled this morning. I mean, that's one of the reasons. We are dulled uh, to the need for God and dependence upon God. Why is that the case? Because of sensuality and immorality. It's not really fun and kosher to be around God and the things of God when you are living in sensuality. Whether it be pornography or adultery or fornication, young people, whatever that might be. Those things dull you from an understanding of what God is about and what God is doing. So they're plumped right down in the middle of sensuality central and vanity fair with every opportunity to defile themselves with all the king that he had to offer in the king's table. And yet they made a determination not to give in. Awesome. Daniel could say in Psalm 119.37, I turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and give my life to your ways, O God. Wow. Wow. 
Listen to Psalm 119, 129. Don't turn there. You can read this on your own and just see how much this sounds like Daniel and the position he would have been in in Babylon. Verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn me and be gracious to me. Turn to me and be gracious to me. As is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. I love those verses. Daniel prayed. Uh, sounds like what our prayers should be, correct? That the Lord God would keep, guard our life, guard our hearts, guard our eyes, guard our steps. This determination from Daniel came quickly in his life. It did. So Daniel chose the path, not only because of the sensuality, and it was just a straightforward no to that kind of sensual lifestyle, but also that utter dependence upon the Lord. He put, him, he put himself in a position where if God didn't act on his behalf, he was dead. Y'all do realize that, right? He put it all back in the hands of the Lord. If God doesn't act on his behalf, he's a dead man. That's the life of faith. Put yourself where God must act. And if he doesn't, if, if God doesn't act, you're just going to be hung out to dry. That's the, that's the life of faith. This is what Daniel does. And notice how he does it. Not to read the text again because you know what the narrative says. He makes a request. What's so awesome about this is he doesn't kick and scream, pitch, and fit, pitch a fit, kick somebody in the shins. He understands, young people, that he has an authority over him. Now listen to this. It's even a pagan authority. Hello, Tokyo. Y'all listening? It's even a pagan authority that's over him. And yet Daniel willingly submits to that authority. Now, not if that authority tells him to do something wrong. He's not going to do it. But he willingly aligns himself up under that authority. He makes a request. He's determined. He's not going to defile himself. He purposes in his heart. But he makes a request. And he makes a request not to compromise. Again, he didn't kick the floor. He didn't throw food in the official's face. You know, as good Americans, that's probably what we would have done. Now, wait a minute. As good Americans, we probably just drank it every bit of it. And ask for more food, right? That's kind of the American way. But Daniel saw himself as a man under authority. He, he has favor with Aspenaz. And there was something about Daniel that stood out to this guy. Much like Joseph. Remember him? Much like Joseph as he was in that excelling mode in Egypt. It was because they saw something different in this man. So the official has a fundamental concern. And what's that concern? What happens if you're skinny? When I put you before Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to have my head. Because you haven't been using the king's diet. I'd like to help you. Because I like you, Daniel. But I'm not going to risk my head. Nebuchadnezzar has a temple, temper. And if you walk in there and you're all skinny and stuff, he's going to get ticked off. And he's going to kill me. But Daniel doesn't give up. He goes to the superintendent under Aspenaz with a plan. Doesn't this teenager have incredible prudence and wisdom? I mean, just think about this. Put us on the 10-day Yahweh veggie diet. Right? If this was in our day, Lifeway would make millions. Ooh, that's right. Uh. Zondervan would make millions. Y'all know that Jesus sells? 
Why, why does everybody have to write a book? I mean, why does everybody have to give you the how-tos? Because people like to make money. I'm telling you, Lifeway would make money hand over fist with Yahweh's veggie diet. Right now in our day. So, it would be the latest rage for everyone. Daniel Fast, Yahweh veggie diet. It'll actually help you gain weight. Right? You understand that's what's going on here. People don't even know how to translate the scripture. Nonetheless, have a Daniel fast or whatever. What are you having it for? Number one. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to get on that. Here we go. So after we do this and compare this with the king's buffet, Daniel says, put us to the test. Give us 10 days and see what's going to happen. Now, if we tried this diet, I want to tell you, folks, you would not gain weight. You'd have a real, real skinny preacher in about 10 days. I promise you that. Daniel's confidence was that if I honor God, God will honor me. That was his confidence. I'm telling you, it was dependence upon the Lord like nothing you could ever imagine. If we trust him, that's what they're thinking. Our God's going to show up and he's going to be faithful to us. I can step out in faith and eat a, veg a vegetable diet and drink water for 10 days. And I'm confident that after that 10-day period after, of eating that, we're going to be better in appearance than the king's food and drinking his wine. So Daniel took those prudent steps. He was courteous and he was good witness before those. He worked in the situation that he had. And that seems so antithetical to the way we act today, isn't it? I mean, even evangelicals in our world, they're not real prudent at times. They're not courteous. They're not good witnesses. Uh, they're just mean. But that's not what Daniel was. Instead of being brash, contentious, argumentative, he was a man that was courteous and humble. Worked in the situation that he had before the, before the Lord, but was absolutely determined. Now, verse 15 and 16, we see that Daniel got fatter by the grace of God. Isn't that awesome? At the end of those 10 days, his appearance seemed better. Now, do you think that Daniel ever stopped and prayed dramatically, God, would you increase the calories in this broccoli and cauliflower and carrots? You think he ever did that? Don't we pray different about eating today? God, keep this triple cheeseburger from making me gain 15 pounds. Our Lord, as I eat this second piece of pie, would you please remind me of the great verse that says love covers a multitude of sins. Right? We're not praying like Daniel prayed. Now keep in mind, this is a time frame when the extra little plump around your waist actually made you more attractive. Oh, boy, I don't I look handsomely beautiful up here then. If that's the case, a little extra. Yeah, a little extra. So God's faithfulness, that's the point. After... Ten days was demonstrated concretely before those who watched. So Daniel put his trust and faith in God on the line. And God acted on his behalf. What an awesome thing. It actually frees up the superintendent to keep giving him this food. Every day, according to the text. So here they are faithful and determined not to indulge themselves. Twofold purpose. Sensuality of life, they just said a resilient no to, and yet turned around and said, God, we're going to put you to the test because you're sovereign and you're holy and you're righteous and you are all powerful. You are omnipotent. Here's what we're going to do let's just have this plan and see how God acts. And He acts on their behalf. 
They stay dependent on God and away from temptation. Isn't that a good thing, good way for us to live, kids, young folks? Should I say young adults for many of you? It's the way we should live. Verse 17 through 20 expands on the faithful hand of God. As for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature. We see God working on the behalf of these young people. God gave them academic abilities. Can't you kids stand some of that in your chemistry and biology classes and trigonometry and calculus? Man, we could stand some academic abilities, right? They're studying Babylonian literature. Told you that's not easy. Babylonian language, cuneiform, written in hieroglyphics. And yet God Almighty is blessing them to learn this kind of stuff. But I think it's more than just the fact that God gave them academic abilities to learn the Babylonian literature. I think God also gave them wisdom. Why? Because they're facing something that is antithetical to their way of living. And God gave them the ability to be able to see the junk versus the right stuff. Boy, mm, that's what it means to be given the wisdom of God. They didn't take everything they heard hook, line, and sinker. Everything was filtered through the eyes. Remember the first sermon on the worldview? Go back and listen. Podcast number one, right? I talked about in the introduction about worldview and how you view things. And everything they looked at was discerning to them through the eyes of God who put the word in their hearts. That's incredible. They increased in knowledge and discernment. They kept safe. They kept sound. And so it says that Daniel was gifted to understand visions and dreams. Notice, this is a supernatural gift that God gave him. And God is going to come through in huge ways when you get to chapter 3 and chapter 6. Why? He was planning. He knew what he was doing to give Daniel this gift so that Daniel would be able to survive and preserve. And God comes through in a huge way. But he would also do some ordinary things. To deliver his people by just giving them wisdom. So here are these young people excelling right there in the midst of the most godless society known to man. And here are these young men who are excelling because they're committed to Yahweh God. I want to remind you young people that you can go off to a secular university and you can excel in what is put in front of you. You can excel in all the branches of learning. But unless God actually gives you wisdom and insight and discernment, you're going to buy into every bit of the things that are wrong, hook, line, and sinker. Unless you have the wisdom of God given to you, you mark her down. You will not last and you will not make it through college without losing your faith if you don't have the foundation of the truth of God's Word sealed in your heart and mind. You won't. You won't make it. God bless you. God will bless you with insight. That will keep you safe if you stick to a faithful God and His Word. Now in 18 and 19, we have graduation day. You young people look forward to that, don't you? Don't you? Graduate high school, graduate with your four-year degree, and head off for your master's, and maybe do your doctoral work. They've uh, completed a three-year program. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to conduct the final exam. And so the text reminds us, that he finds them, they're articulate, they're smart, they're educated, far beyond, ten times more so than any of their contemporaries. They're brought directly into the king's service. Should not Christians be the best, no matter what field they're in? What are we supposed to do? Everything we reach out our hand to do, or our mind to do, or our, our will to do, we should do it with excellency. 
as unto the Lord. Correct? Christians should have the best work ethic in the entire world. So don't be lazy. The Bible has something to say about laziness in Proverbs. You ever read those? About what laziness will do. Whatever we do with our, for the Lord, we ought to do it with all of our might. If you're a doctor, do it to the best of your ability. If you're a lawyer, if you're pouring concrete, whatever that might be. You as a child of God belonging to the Lord ought to do your best in everything that you do. Amen? Amen. The reality is Christians should excel in their work. These guys were impressive to the king. And they were Hebrew, born-again believers. Now, again, this is how the chapter ends. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That means at least 68 to 72 years Daniel spent his life there in Babylon. Well, it's going to change hands. (laughs) Keep in mind, all the way to the first year of Cyrus, that's when... They return home. Nehemiah, right? Y'all listening? So it's going gonna, it's gonna to last that. Look, Daniel perseveres because of the faithfulness of God longer than anybody that's punishing him or putting him in a fiery furnace. There's going to be the Medo-Persians. There's going to be all the changes, epic changes, but Daniel is going to be steadfast, immovable. You ever think Daniel might have said at one time, boy, I'd like to go home. I mean, maybe he did, but he understood that God had placed him there for a reason. And what an influence he was. I think with his position at times, I'm sure he got to being homesick and thinking about what it was like to go home. But the fact is, he knew God put him right where he put him. Now, a few points of application and we're done. You ready? Write these down. Resolve to live for Jesus comes from training in righteousness. The resolve to live for Jesus comes from training in righteousness. So his resolve did not just appear out of nowhere. Are y'all tracking with me? It just didn't appear out of nowhere. If you step back and think about his age. Let's say Daniel is 10, 12, 14 years of age. If you go back chronologically in Israel's history, you're going to find out that they're in a revival right before he's deported. And it's under a king named Josiah, they found the word of the Lord. Don't this excite you? They found the word of the Lord. And that's what Josiah wept over as a young kid. He wept over the fact that the people had turned away from God. But it was during that reign that revival took place in Jerusalem and Judah. And there was enthusiasm for the word of God. And when Daniel came into the world, his parents gave him the name, My God is Judge. That didn't happen accidentally. His parents definitely had a high view of God, did they not? And they passed it on to their son. Daniel not only always, Daniel not only had to give an account to his parents, but he ultimately one day had to give an account to his God. He's named, my God is judge. Now you are and should have to live in such a way that you honor your parents with the way you live, young people. And that's also true for some of you older people. Even if your parents are dead and their bodies are in the grave and their spirits with Jesus in heaven, there's still something to be said about the family name. Hello. Right? And living in such a way that you honor it. But he knows, and Daniel knew, that he had another name that was way higher to live up to than his parents. And that was the name of our God. My God is judge. Uh, Say something personal to you kids. Many of you grew up in this church. 
And your parents, although they're not perfect, believe me, I've met them, and I'm not either, they've done the best they know how to do to raise you in a Christian home and teach you the Word of God, even though, again, they're not perfect. I know that. I get it. But you know what it looks like to live a life under the truth, don't you? Most of you do. And the reality is, at the end of the day, you're going to be accountable to one, and that's God Almighty. You better own your faith now. You better make sure you understand that you resolve today, right now, to live for Jesus. You've been trained in all this righteousness. You've heard so many different teachings according to the Word of God. And listen, these guys aren't surrounded by church people. There's no temple right down the road where people are worshiping Yahweh. But yet they resolved in their hearts that they were going to live for Jesus. That's good preaching. They resolved in their hearts they were going to do it. So Daniel could say, how can a young man keep his way pure? He does so by keeping according to the word of God. That's what we need to do. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Even if everyone else walked out the opposite direction, Daniel chose to honor God and walk in his ways. That's my challenge to you. Kind of quiet in here. That training in righteousness didn't just come out of nowhere. It was already there. Taught to Daniel. Number two, choose your friends wisely. Daniel had some friends that he chose carefully and wisely. His companions were absolutely vital to help his resolve to walk in the ways of God. Now, Natalie's in ETC this morning, but we could tell you that if it were not for Christian brothers and sisters, when we were in the youth group and growing up as young adults, did we not, have we not had that accountability structure? Lord knows where we would be. There's no telling. But he had companions. I want to tell you something, folks. This is absolutely critical. He could say in Psalm 119.63, I am a companion of all of those who fear you and keep your precepts. That's the kind of companions you want. Those who keep the Lord's precepts. He also sees himself with a God consciousness that he's an example to others that they should fear God. Daniel had both of these things working. Young people, please listen carefully. There's no way that you will maintain your resolve to walk with God when you're making friends with people who are not friends of God. It's not going to happen. I want to remind you of that. Bad company corrupts Good morals. The people you walk with, you will soon begin to walk like them. It's going to happen. In southern slang, we would say if you lie with the fleas, if you lie with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. Right? It's going to happen. Always remember this. There's a simple law of nature called entropy. This means that it's easier to pull someone down than it is for someone to pull you up. Always remember that. Well, preacher, what about my friends? My response is, what about your soul? What about your soul? Now, I'm not talking about cold, intentional, hardcore evangelism. I'm not talking about winning people to Jesus. I'm talking about people you hang out with. I'm talking about ones you call friends. The Bible expressly warns us. I want to remind you, do you think that people who don't know God, who live consistently contrary to the Word of God, have your best interest at heart? Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish to even minutely think that that is the case. 
I believe there is actually a carnal, demonic delight when lost people can drag down those who profess to be born-again believers. It's insidious, and I've watched it over my days. I've actually lived it around people who didn't walk with God, wanted us to be in their crowd. And the things they would say and the, uh, the sensuality and the way they lived their lives certainly was not an admonishment for us to want to go down that road. That's for sure. So, please choose your friends wisely. I want to tell you that it's Daniel's connection to his friends that served as a lifeline, lifeline that helped him in his resolve to walk with Jesus. Number three, y'all getting this? God is faithful. Daniel knew he wasn't in Babylon by accident. He knew that it was the hand of God. Remember verse 1 and 2? It was God who put Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel knew that it was the sovereign God of the universe that had put him in that position. As he would say in Psalm 119, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Well, we don't like to hear that as Americans, do we? We don't like to hear that God may afflict us. Well, if His holiness lived out in your life is on the line, guess what's coming? It's called affliction. And God is going to send it your way on purpose. Why? So that you will be utterly dependent upon Him. He afflicts us for that. He also saw God's faithfulness so that He was willing to take big risks for the Lord. When's the last time you stepped out in faith, folks? In full dependence upon God. And when you did this... You just believe God was going to be faithful. But I'm telling you, here's what we usually do. We usually take that risk and then we say, well, what if this happens? Or suppose this happens. The moment you do this, you're overcome by unbelief. The moment you do that, when you start saying, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Boy, Daniel didn't do that, did he? No, certainly. He, he risked it all for the Lord. Why? Because he knew that God was faithful. And my encouragement is to remind you that the life of faith is a life of taking risks with a God who never takes a risk. Did you catch that? Because He's sovereign. He does all things well. So the life of faith is a life of taking risks with a God who never takes a risk. God is sovereign. He's in control. So you ought to do bold things for God and put your faith in Him. How about standing up in your class and saying what's right in the face of what's wrong? How many young people have ever been tempted to do that? Just to speak a word for Christ. Even when everybody else in the class is going to stub their nose at you and you know, look down at you and say, who is this good-for-nothing Christian that goes to First Baptist Church? When's the last time you took a bold risk? And spoke a word of the gospel to someone knowing full well that it might cost you. You know, you can be bold. You know, faith is an action. Right? The moment you begin to be overwhelmed by what might happen, you're no longer trafficking in confidence to God's faithfulness, but your own. And I want you to understand, folks, that God is faithful. That's the principle. God is faithful. So for Christ's sake, let's be bold. All of us need to hear this. God honors those who honor Him. No question about it. So Daniel lived, and if necessary, would die for that principle. I'm going to obey. Final one. There are no small decisions in the face of compromise. There are no small decisions in the face of compromise. Who cares what Daniel ate and drank? 
Right? I mean, who cares what you eat or drink? Well, Daniel cared. He knew that God cared. And there are no small decisions. And the reason that this is true is because if you capitulate, if you acquiesce, if you compromise in small things, you set yourself up for compromising in the big decisions in life. Young people, are y'all listening? I am. Amen, brother. You're older, but you're listening, right? <laughs> who are the people who resolve in commitment to stand with all their heart in big decisions? I'm telling you, those are the folks who stood tall and didn't compromise in the small decisions in life. I'm telling you, there's no wiggle room there. There's really not. They're the ones who made the wise decisions because they stood up and did the right thing when little things were on the line. The decisions that they made. A small food decision would pave the way for greater faithfulness in Daniel 3 and Daniel 5 and Daniel 6. When much, much more was at stake. Mm. Young people, you're surrounded by decisions every single day. Older people, all of us. We're surrounded. This pastor, all of us are surrounded by decisions we have to make every single day. And let's be honest, some of us are making bad decisions. Really leading up to the invitation, you ought to go ahead and be honest with that one, right? With all of us, making some bad decisions. And you may think that these little small things are no big decisions at this point, but I'm telling you, those small things will become big things down the road. I can promise you. Some of us who have lived a little longer, I'm only 49, but I'm telling you, we've got some 90-plus-year-olds in this church. Probably about five or six of them sitting back in here, right? And they could stand up and say the same thing to you. Bad decisions. If you make bad decisions with the little things, you're simply setting yourself up to make fatal decisions when it really matters. Better listen. Those little decisions count for now, and they count for later. What kind of decisions are you making? Young and old alike, are you a man or woman who has made a resolve in life in what really matters? There is a reality that if you know Christ, you can be the kind of person who is utterly resolved to serve the Lord. And here's the news. God will be faithful. He will be faithful to you when you resolve yourself. Our faithfulness is utterly dependent on the God who keeps His promises every single time. So my encouragement to you is you can be a person of resolve. You can be a person of determination and fight temptation and live a life of dependence because we have a God who never lies. Isn't that awesome? Now, in conclusion, don't make the mistake of only thinking that God is faithful to those who are faithful to Him. You know why? Because you ain't been faithful. Amen. And neither have I. Do you know what the most faithful thing God ever did for us? It's called the cross. Right? Don't make the huge mistake of missing Jesus in the book of Daniel. In order to exposit a, a book of the Bible at all in the Old Testament, it must point us to Jesus Christ. And here is the deal. Aren't you thankful that Jesus was faithful to you when you were not? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you so thankful for the cross of Christ? Look, the Bible says that while we were still in sin, God demonstrated His love toward us. 
That's amazing. Even all of you today, if you're saved by grace through faith, your standing is one of righteousness before the Father. Thus wise, you can never go to heaven. When the Father looks at you, He sees His Son. Righteous. That's awesome. But justification goes even further than that. You have that standing, although you remain in a state of being a sinner. Oof. And we're prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it to thy courts above. Aren't we prone to wonder? Oh, we are. Folks, if you're lost today, you need to look to the cross. Look to what Jesus did on Calvary in order to save you. That's the faithfulness of God. The cross of Calvary. And today, because of the resurrection and ascension, your inheritance in heaven is secured. You may say, well, Jesus is the route to heaven. No, He is. Or you may say, He has the route to heaven. I'm telling you, He is the route. Himself. And there is no way to heaven apart from Jesus. Father, we thank You for the faithfulness that we see to Daniel. But God, if all we learn from this is we need to be like Daniel, we've missed it. Because the truth of the matter is, when we read about Daniel and Joseph, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Lord, we miss it. We can't keep up. There's no way. Lord, we need to see from Daniel that we need a Savior. So that we won't compromise. So that we will stand in faithfulness. Why? Because you are faithful. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Daniel 7 that prophesies that the Son of Man will come. Oh Lord, we thank you for the book of Daniel. For what we learn, Lord, my prayer just heavy. Lord, on my heart is thinking about decisions that we all make in this room. Lord, decisions we've made personally living in a very sensualistic society where it's really not immoral anymore because that means we say that things are right and wrong. But it's more of an amoral society where there are no morals at all. And that's the society we live in, but it's not an accident that you've put us here. And Lord, my prayer is that we resolve in determination, mind, affection, will, that we will not bend, that we will not bow, but we will be bold and that we will live according to the framework of the Word of God and make decisions that honor you. God, help our young people in this church. Help the ones that are off on college campuses even today. God, would you just light a fire in their bones to want to live for you, no matter what. They can go off to college and excel in academics, and they can also keep their faith. They can also make an impact for Jesus, and we're wanting that to happen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.